Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Good morning and welcome to Jazz Shapers. It's me, Elliot Moss, here on Jazz FM. It's where the shapers of business join the shapers of jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is Philip Ross, CEO and founder of Ungroup and Cordless Group, a family of brands specialising in the impact of emerging technology on the way we'll work and live. It was as head of research at the Business Design Group, a London-based design consultancy, that Philip developed an interest in making directors think differently about work. He became a futurist focused on future trends. After founding Cordless Group in 1994, a workplace consultancy advising on tech strategy design and implementation, he worked with Ericsson, Intel, AT&T as it was then, and Herman Miller to build the world's first wireless office. On the back of a surge of wireless technology and a realisation of the benefits and changes this delivers to businesses and organisations, Philip founded a series of brands, including Research House and consultancy Unwork, helping define the opportunities for innovation. Philip now has a client list that includes the majority of the top FTSE and Fortune listed companies. And as he says, the old stale status quo is no longer appropriate in a world where digital disruption, fast company behaviours and expectations of a new generation shapes a realisation that there's more to life than sitting at a desk all day long. Here, here. It's very nice to have you here, Philip. How are you in this new virtual Jazz Shapers world? Elliot, it's a pleasure to be with you and very well, thank you. Good. It's strange that we are having a conversation, or maybe it's not strange, about the future when it feels like the future's arrived. It feels like these conversations that you were having many years ago have transmorphed into reality. A conversation in our studio now, in the Jazz FM world, is slightly different. We're talking across the screen, but I can see you very clearly because I believe you're in a, another another invention of Philip Ross and his imagination, which you'll come on to in a moment. But tell me a little bit about why you got interested in the world of work and, and what you thought would happen to it. Well, Elliot, I mean, if you rewind the clock back to, to the mid-90s when I, when I first started exploring the new world of work, we were in a very different place. You know, work was traditional. We commuted into buildings. We, we sat in these containers for work surrounded by the paraphernalia of office life. And that world was the networked computer. And I challenged that. I kind of began to see in the lab something very different coming. I had a fantastic access to places like Ericsson in Nakastrand, who were showing me what was then early mobile technologies. And Hewlett Packard, who showed me early uh, laptops. And then, of course, people like Motorola had this fascinating thing called wireless networking, which was unheard of back then. I kind of just put it all together and said, look, what if, you know, what if we all were able to carry a portable computing device and connect wirelessly without this cable? What could the world of work look like? And we began to reimagine it. And as you're speaking there, it's, it sounds funny to me that we're saying about this wireless world. Imagine, imagine there'd be this computer that you could walk around with and it would have everything you needed. Imagine you had a phone and that phone was the phone that you used wherever you were. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary just the pace of change. And I, I remember watching a presentation from David Putnam. I think he was talking about film and film technology and it was post-Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1979. And he was talking about the revolution that's happened in technology and how it's affected film. It feels like, though, in the film world, people got on with it and special effects happened. In the working world, 
We've been incredibly resistant to change. What's that about? Well, I think, Elliot, you know, in general, people are resistant to change. But I think the world of work was was kind of created by management theory. People like Frederick Taylor, who, who thought that the organisational chart and the organisational efficiency was the way that work should be shaped and driven. So for a long time, you know, we, we drove people to the desk. Presenteeism was the way that we managed people by watching the back of their heads. Uh, and we created these workplaces that were much more about an old-fashioned view of the world of work. And it's very difficult to challenge that. You know, what is the kind of impetus for change? We believe that that's technology. But even with technology, up until quite recently, it has been quite a difficult process to think about how you'd enable anything different. But beyond the technology, there are so many different roles that people play in offices. Why did you decide that actually your work, because your work is kind of, I I feel like it's one of those uh, moments when you look inside the mirror and inside the mirror is the person saying, I wonder what's the other side of the mirror. Your work is about work. You know, my work historically was in the world of advertising and, and now my, my, my day job is in a law firm and I'm here as well and I love what I do. But you decided to talk and focus on work. Where did that desire come from? It's an unusual thing. There aren't many of you around. No. Well, I'm, I'm an economist and yeah, as an economist, you kind of look at the future. You try and forecast and predict and we all work. And I was really intrigued by the different forces that were reshaping work and not just technology. You know, you're looking at sustainability. If you think about the contribution of buildings, especially commercial buildings and people getting to those buildings has a huge carbon footprint, has a huge impact, for example, on transport networks, you know, all, all of the kind of the regime and the kind of repetitiveness of the daily commute has never been challenged. So I was really intrigued by the world of work. And, and you look at the various opportunities to rethink that and the benefits to the environment, to people and their work and life. And you can really think that there's a much more imaginative and positive way we can think about work. And as you said, Elliot, up until a few years ago, it was a kind of a difficult argument. The pandemic has really accelerated this. It's on everyone's agenda now because we've had enforced working from home, which for many was unthinkable. And now people have realised that actually there is a brave new world to be defined. So your your own interest, you disclose how you became fascinated by this subject. When you start doing that, it makes me think about Jeff Bezos trying to sell the Amazon proposition. You know, 1994, funnily enough, same year, maybe he's slightly wealthier than you or anyone else I've I've interviewed. But he believed that the internet would be the place to sell books. And that was a stupid idea. Crazy, crazy, crazy. You have been talking about the future of work and now suddenly we're here. How have you, over these last 20 years or so, navigated the, well, cynicism's the wrong word, but the, 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 the kind of resistance perhaps to the new? Or is it not like that? Are there just a group of enlightened businesses that have gone, we love what you do and we'll keep going? Or have you seen it change more recently? No, there has been cynicism and it's a difficult argument and discussion. As you said, Elliot, it has to be proven. So there's data and evidence that's needed. And the good news is that there's actually a lot of data you can gather you know, we're talking about things like Microsoft's uh, platform that you can actually get the data from to show how people are working and who's interacting with whom. But I think the most important thing is the scepticism really is about having to challenge the status quo. And, and many people don't like to do that. And in effect, that's where the brand I created came from. Unwork is about unraveling, unbundling, getting people to kind of stop and be introspective and unlearn some of their behaviors. And I think that's important. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think in business, you know, you talk about disruption and need for agility. We need to think 
and really challenge ourselves as to how best people should work in the future, especially now we've realised that work can be redefined. We've all been working effectively at home. People have actually reported that productivity is increased and enhanced. And actually, if you think about it, we're bypassing the office. All of the technology and platforms we're using don't touch the office at all. So how can we repurpose and rethink what this office is for going forwards? In this time, Philip, in your own business, what have you done? What have you done in terms of the the work environment, in terms of, as you call it, an activity-based space um, and the application of technology? Are there things that obviously you've got to walk the walk as well as talk the talk, as it were? If I was to look inside your business itself before the pandemic, what would I have seen? Well, the way I've always thought about my business is to give people empowerment and and see them as a collection of entrepreneurs working together. And, and so I think we practiced what we preached for a long time. I mean, we, we use the latest technologies. Um, everyone has a device they carry and they can work from anywhere. The office itself has no desks that you'd recognize. Uh, there are places to work and there's a collection of environments and people choose where they want to work based on their activity or task and who they need to work with but also their personal preferences. I think, Elliot, what's interesting to me is that, you know, your, your, your comment that it's, it's personal actually seems to be forgotten by most corporates. You know, they leave that at the door. And even though many have diversity as a value, actually that's about attracting diversity, a talent attraction. But actually then they put people into a one-size-fits-all box and they kill the benefits of diversity. And my view is that it should be personal. It's about people and their preferences and, and who they are and how and where they do their best work. Stay with me for much more from my business shape today. It's Philip Ross. He's the CEO and founder of Unwork. And we're talking about working environments and why work and the office aren't necessarily to be said in the same sentence anymore going forward from 2021 onwards, maybe. Uh, much more coming up from Philip in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, we're going to hear a taster from the Mishcon Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all of the major podcast platforms. Mishcon Dres, Tom Grogan and Anne Rose talk about the latest trends and developments in the world of blockchain and the key opportunities and threats affecting businesses looking to implement blockchain platforms. The Mishcon Academy digital sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. What would you say to any organisation who's looking to implement blockchain technology today? I think the first piece of advice I'd give hasn't changed over the last sort of four or five years. It's, it's verify that you've got a use case and that blockchain has, has meaningful value proposition for your business or your organisation. The second thing is make smart platform decisions early and design choices that, that have a view and an eye to to progress and development in this space, uh, ensuring interoperability and longevity. Uh, the developments we've seen over the last 12, 18 months have been extraordinary, and I, I think we we all expect that to continue. So, so organisations want to be sure that what they're building today maintains relevance and, and efficacy in, in 12, 18 months' time. I'd seek to identify uh, the key stakeholders. I think so often I've lost track of the the number of times I've spoken to clients, public sector and private sector, who have asked the question, could the technology do this? Could the uh, technology do that? (laughs) The answer is almost always yes. The technology can do most things. We tend to find that that the problems aren't tech-based, they're people-based and they're stakeholder-based. I think it's incredibly important that very, very early on, organisations identify who are the key important stakeholders that are going to be involved with their implementation and bring them in and and actually sort of empower them by involving them in the, the design thinking process. 
the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former Jazz Shapers and hear this very programme again with Philip by popping Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. Or if you have a smart speaker, you can ask it to play Jazz Shapers and there you'll find many of our recent shows. But back to today's guest, it's Philip Ross, CEO and founder of Ungroup, Cordless Group, Unwork and every other un that we can possibly think of here. A family of brands, it says here, specialising in the impact of emerging technology on the way we'll work and we'll live. You obviously like working, which sounds like you know, most of the people I, I have on the programme like working, but the working environment is what you what you do for a living. How do you keep yourself fresh? How do you ensure that you've got the new ideas coming? I mean, when people hear, I hear someone's a futurist, I always go, okay, well, how do you do that? I mean, obviously, we all have thoughts about what it might be. And I remember being seven and writing a, an essay about flying skateboards. But it, isn't it just conjecture? Where does it come from? And, and how can you then land that in today's world? Well, Elliot, I mean, the world doesn't stand still. And, you know, part of my role is to be one step ahead of the people we work with, because you need to be able to advise on the future. And to be a futurist, yes, you can kind of hypothesize, but the proofs in the kind of delivery, you know, if you get it right over the years, and you have predicted the future correctly, you're then respected as a futurist. And I think that when I started the business in 1994, you mentioned we built the first ever wireless office, people thought we were completely barking. I mean, mad. It was an era of structured cabling in in very expensive office buildings, expensive furniture to bring those cables around the building and we and, and raised floors, you know, all, all of this kind of huge infrastructure and we said actually that's going the other way. You're wrong. We're going to be walking around with with devices just kind of connected wirelessly and I think then people thought we were completely barking mad and now of course the proof is here. So our next predictions, you know, we can then stay with a certain degree of confidence. You know, we're looking at the idea of smart homes. We're looking at the impact of the Internet of Things on buildings. And we're looking at the, the various changes to how we'll work based on what we can see in the labs of the technology companies. How do you ensure that people remain central to all this? Because a brave new world that has such things in it is fabulous. Um, and we we talk about user experiences. We talk about speed of broadband. We talk about broadband in the same breath as we say water and other utilities. But at the heart of everything is is humanity. So for you as well, does it start with people? Does it start with new gizmos? Does it start with the word innovation? What's your starting point for defining all of this? It has to start with people, and it's all about people. Um, you know, how can you get people to have a great day at work? wherever and however that work takes place. And I think it's back to this diversity point. You know, we have had this kind of mechanized one size fits all, a very inhuman approach to the office. I, I walk into so many offices and they actually don't feel particularly human. You know, I often compare them to art. You know, often the office is the kind of Mondrian, you know, very, very kind of ordered, rectilinear. And to some extent, we want a bit more Kandinsky. Uh, and perhaps there's a good analogy with jazz because, you know, that is the analogy. You know, Kandinsky's classic, one of his favorite paintings is called Swinging. And, the, you know, music and improvisation, a bit more randomness, I think, is needed. And and that should be about people, giving them choice and variety uh, and not just this kind of one place, the same desk day in, day out that most of us have experienced. But the other thing is, and the, the, the other side of the argument would say, 
come on, Philip, people got to work. I mean, you work, you've got to be productive. How do you help people be productive? Well, you get them seated wherever they are. Truthfully, we don't mind this home working thing, say many employers, but really, I mean, can you be as effective in your living room? And what about mixing with other people? I mean, there's so many, there's so many whatabouts. Does that ever irritate you or just kind of dull your, your enthusiasm? No, for me, it's a challenge. Uh, you know, interesting, the surveys that we've seen during the lockdown, the magic number is about 7%. 7% of people want to come back to the office as it was before. I mean, that's frighteningly low, right? And that's across the world, law firms, banks, you name it. It's a, it's a pretty common figure. So therefore, that's a pretty low kind of vote of confidence for the office as it was when people are asked themselves what they would like. And of the balance, about half of them say, I want to be mostly at home and half want a hybrid existence. And I think that hybrid world is what we're going to head towards. And, and that's quite refreshing. And therefore, you can give people something a bit different. Um, they can balance the way they work. Um, they can get back the time they spend commuting. And by and large, I think the outcome, the output is how you'll measure people's performance. You know, just by turning up and sitting at a desk at work all day long doesn't mean they're being productive and effective. So let's move to an outputs-led approach, a results-orientated approach to work, and then people can do whatever they want as long as they achieve the results. And for you briefly, what's it going to look like? Is it going to be three days in, quote-unquote, the office, two days at home? Gosh, I mean, for me personally, you know, as you can see, you know, we, we love what we do. It doesn't really actually feel like working. It, it's, it's, we're very lucky. And to some extent, you know, you, you balance it based on who you're working with and, and what you're doing. And once we get back to traveling, you know, who knows what that balance will be. But to some extent, the lines are blurred. And I think each week will be different, which I think is part of the joy of where we're heading. How many people now are in your business? We're about 50 at the moment. 50. And is that the magic number? People often often talk about, you know, over a certain number, you lose track because you don't know people's lives and so on. I mean, obviously, we all know each other's lives much more now because of the nature of how we're working. But have you enjoyed it more as you've got bigger? Did you like it when it was only a handful of people? Or has it not made much of a difference to you in terms of happiness? Yeah, no, I think, I think there's, there's still space for growth. I mean, I, always, I often think 100 is, is a good critical mass. I always was told that that's where centurions came from. You're managing 100 people is about the kind of limits of knowing someone's name. And, and I've always thought that's a kind of a good critical mass of any group or business. And um, it's been around 50 people for a couple of years, but I think this new world of work that's surrounding us means that we're quite excited about growth. And how have you kept through this pandemic? How have you kept that sense of cohesion and sense of shared identity, sense of shared purpose going? Because we've all, anyone who manages individuals, teams, companies has had exactly the same issue. And it's become the primary issue, actually. It absolutely has. I mean, I think we have an events business. You know, one of our companies is WorkTech, which is a, a global conference brand. And of course, that kind of stopped stopped in its tracks in March. And you know, the, the knee-jerk reaction was to furlough people uh, in, in that business. But then through those summer months, you realize that these are young, talented people who were, were not being stimulated. So actually, we brought everyone back from furlough gradually in, in the autumn. And everyone is now you know, working. And actually, pivoting to a virtual platform has been very successful and actually more interesting because you're getting a global audience of people who before may not have travelled. Unwork is, is booming, as is cordless. I mean, I think that actually we've done quite well through the lockdown from a business perspective. And, you know, we think that the world is pivoting to the something, something very different. And everyone is looking for those answers and solutions. 
you mentioned your events business is also is that connected to the academy is that part of that business which is all about sort of sharing and learning and and resources and so on did you do that beyond the marketing which obviously it's good marketing to 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 create these kind of platforms but did you do that because you have a desire to to educate or proselytize or was it simply just good business? Well, it's interesting. Jeremy Myerson, um, who I've collaborated with since I started the business, in fact, we actually met through music. He is a professor and came from the Royal College of Art, where he was for a long time and still is a part of. And he said WorkTech was created, actually, because we were told by clients there was nowhere to go to hear knowledge about the new world of work that embraced people, place, and technology. They were very siloed, very specialized events only and, and, and nothing broad. So we started WorkTech with the British Library 20 years ago, and it's now grown into this kind of global franchise. And what clients then said is, look, you're sharing WorkTech innovation in Sydney, in Bogota, in Shanghai, in, in, in Toronto. These are fascinating journeys and stories that you're sharing. Can we bring those together? Can you create a, a knowledge base and a community that synthesizes everything that you're seeing around the world? So Jeremy joined and created the WorkTech Academy about five years ago. And he's built a team of researchers and writers who, in effect, collect that knowledge and, and share it with our clients. Stay with me for my final chat with Philip Ross. He's the CEO and founder of Unwork. And we'll be playing a track from War. That is in just a moment, so please don't go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Philip Ross is my business shaper just for a few more minutes and we've been talking about all sorts of things related to the the office space and COVID-19 and and all the things that that go on around work. You have created a business which is a consultancy, it's also a training hub if you like, but also you write. Which bit I guess is my question that you've enjoyed the most or that you enjoy the most? Is it the thinking part? Is it the delivering advice part? Is it the managing the business part? Is it coming up with the new ideas part? Is it the talking about technology or finding out about new tech part? Because you're you sort of got lots of parts to your brain and your outlook. Gosh, that's a good question. I mean, I've just actually somehow in lockdown written my next book. So Jeremy and I actually have finished the next book on the future of work, which should come out later this year. And I think I love that. I mean, I love the 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 luxury of of writing and being able to kind of think and put that down on paper. And the books we've written have been inspirational, you know, for people. I think they've just opened eyes and got people thinking differently outside of their comfort zone. So I, I love I love pushing people, and you can do that through speaking and 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 presenting. The art of persuasion, I think, is very interesting, and that I enjoy. You know, running a business almost kind of is by, by default. I mean, you know, I, you're, you're so passionate about what you want to do and how you want to kind of shape the world. I mean, I've, I think I've got a very clear purpose that we want to kind of improve people's experience of work because I think, you know, most people have a pretty grim experience of, of work and to try and find a way to show people that there's a better way, a more enjoyable way and a more successful way to organise work uh, is, is a great motivator and very rewarding. Do you think there'll be offices in 10 years? I think there'll be space. I don't think this idea of the office will be something that you'll recognise. As we reappraise what we need post-pandemic, there's about probably 50-60% of the activities you can now do successfully at home. All the focus work, the reading, the writing, and, and, and so on. But there's about 40% that needs other people. Uh, you, know, you need to kind of interact, collaborate. You need to be spontaneous because a lot of the unexpected is about you know, encounters that people you know, have unplanned and therefore the space needs to achieve that but that's not a building full of desks and meeting rooms it's something different it's a place that 
has purpose, that has a variety of environments that blends food, drink, leisure with environments for work. And I think more importantly, Elliot, as well, you know, we'll head to a, a world of this hybrid working where people will be in the space and those others will connect remotely and therefore digital equality has to be thought through. You know, how can we create the right experiences for people going forwards? It's been really nice talking to you, Philip, and thought-provoking too. When does the new book come out? In the autumn. In the autumn of 2021. And all being well, hopefully there'll be some more normality. I hate to say it'll be back to normal because whatever back means is probably not as good as it should be going forward. But normal might mean being able to hug your friends and uh, and go to something live, which would be good, wouldn't it? And to actually see people beyond the beautiful screens that we are now looking through to see each other. It's been great fun talking to you. Before I let you go to the future of the world of work, Philip, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? Well, it was a really difficult one. I'm, I'm a drummer. I've been drumming for most of my life. And, you know... Like like everyone, I thought Buddy Rich has always been a, a, a remarkable musician. And I actually got to see him before he died. I, I, I saw him play live uh, in the Festival Hall back in 85, just before he died. And I, you know, I think that his technique is astonishing. His passion, his energy is astonishing. You know, the fusion, the, the approach to, to rhythm is wonderful. So I had to pick Buddy Rich, but I've also picked slightly... An interesting kind of track, again, one of my favorite instruments and in my orchestral percussion days was the vibraphone, which I think is just a wonderful uh, percussion instrument. And Buddy Rich here is he's kind of riffing with the vibraphone, which is Lionel Hampton, who's a master. And I think just the sound, the tonal quality and the rhythm for me is just wonderful. That was Buddy Rich with Take the A-Train, 1960 version with Vibraphone by Lionel Hampton, the song choice of my business shaper today, Philip Ross. A focus on people place and technology, a fundamental belief that people should love working, not hate it, and the importance of empowering people and creating spaces within which they can do all the things they actually want to do and be productive. Really good stuff. We're back next Saturday with my next business shaper, Sylvia Young OBE, founder and principal of the Sylvia Young Theatre School. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishcon.com forward slash jazz shapers.